Although we're a company that makes a product that really enables distributed work, we weren't a distributed company. The vast majority of 2,000 plus Slack employees come into an office every day. We're distributed all around the world in different offices, but but in offices nonetheless. And there's a whole bunch of kind of process that goes with with having physical offices as well that doesn't necessarily very easily translate into, into being distributed. Kel Henderson is the co-founder of Slack, the productivity tool designed for team communications that frankly couldn't be more of the moment if it tried. Now, Cal has already been a guest on the show in the last series, so if you're tuning in to listen to what he's accomplished in his career and the story of Slack up until it went public, you can simply look at our past episodes and hear all about that journey, because today we're focusing on the here and now and how he, his co-founder Stuart Butterfield, and the 2,000-plus employees of Slack are dealing with an unprecedented global crisis and working to bring employees closer together when they are forced to be apart. Now, some of the topics we're planning to cover today include what user growth they're seeing, how they're responding to the crisis as a global company with employees and offices all over the world, and how decisions are being made and what advice they can offer around productivity and us all working productively. So without further ado, Cal, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So Cal, we're going to start uh, with picking up where we left off, if that's cool. So the last time we chatted... Um, it was only a few months ago. You were the co-founder of a private company. It was a week before you were going public. And now you are the co-founder of a publicly listed company. So uh, how's that changed your behavior and the way that you think as a leader? Honestly, it hasn't really changed it much. It was kind of a big build up to that event. And then it happened. And then, and then we kind of got back to normal. And it hasn't really changed how we think about the company or, you know, kind of what it's like to work day to day. You know, we're still just focused on building a product for our customers and, and helping our customers. I think it allowed us to, you know, to get back to that focus and to, you know, a huge amount of work went into the process of going public, but it hasn't really changed the day to day. And I think that's been good. You know, we still just kind of get on. So you say like, you know, nothing's really changed or whatever, but I guess there's a different way of communicating the value and the random volatility that can come. <laughs> that's definitely true. And I think, you know, so one of the things that has changed, not maybe for the company or certain parts of the company, but not necessarily, you know, the, the part where we, where we do the building of the software is we now have to do our kind of quarterly earnings uh, calls as a public company. And that's a whole bunch of uh, work goes into that. And what we say there affects the stock price. And, you know, the market can react to what we're saying. And in fact, we had our third earnings call a couple of weeks ago, just as the coronavirus crisis was starting um, in a time of extreme kind of uncertainty about the, the economy. And then the market kind of went into freefall around that time as well. So that's been an exciting last, last few weeks um, kind of on the public company side. But really, that doesn't affect the kind of day-to-day -day operation of the company. And I think that... Uh, especially over the last few weeks, because we've just been so focused um, on influx of customers that that hasn't been a huge distraction inside the company. Yeah, I have to say I was kind of, um, I would say, pleasantly surprised when you delightfully responded to me and didn't just say, are you mad? You couldn't possibly have picked a worse time. We've just rolled out new features. We're in a pandemic and we're scaling like crazy. What an absurd time to ask to do a podcast. I think I was impressed, but then I remembered that you read about 17 books before you even wake up. So you're a man with uh, productivity at the heart of everything you do. I have to say, one of the 
the shift in the last few weeks has been tremendous in a bunch of ways. But one of the, I think, biggest changes to my routine is I no longer have a commute to work. You know, I have to walk down the stairs and I don't have any time to uh, listen to audiobooks anymore. It's like I had that kind of hour and a half, two hour carve out every day where I'd listen to books and I've managed to listen to one book in the last month. So that's it's really impacted my reading. And in general, you know, the and seen this across a lot of our employees, people's routines and getting exercise. And it's very easy to just fall into the you wake up, you work, and then you eat and then you go to sleep. And it's going to take us some time, you know, like society as a whole, information workers to, to figure out what the right routine looks like and what healthy looks like um, and get that balance back. But it's still super early days. Obviously, uh, quite a while ago, you brought in features to help with that on Slack, like do not disturb and statuses and things like that. Are you seeing that that gets used quite heavily or there's still some teams and especially new ones that don't really understand the features like that? Um, I think we still probably see that used about the same amount. You know, do not disturb um, settings are, are there by default based on your time zone. But I think the... The issue is less with there with people's usage of Slack and just people's lives and working lives. I think one of the one of the challenges of remote work for folks has always been the boundary between being at work and not being at work. That's one thing when it's when it's individuals and when that's an entire company in one go. I think that it, it takes some time for people to figure out those boundaries, especially as those boundaries have had to become a lot more permeable for people with kids at home and. You know, there's only so much we can do about something like that with software tools about people figuring out when they're working and when they're not working. And I think that it's just going to take a number of weeks for people to kind of figure out what their new working cadence is going to be. So my day job, uh, we created this work from home PDF, uh, according to science experts, by just calling a bunch and asking what they should do and then creating a seven till the end of the day routine. The one thing that people loved more than anything in it was we had a section on commute which is that even if, so this is from a, a basically a professor of neuroscience who wrote a book on walking, but it's that even if you're stuck and cooped up in the same room every day, actually taking 15 minutes just to walk around it and listen to a podcast or your audio book really helps train your mind like you're in a different space. And the feedback on that particular insight has been, well, our most common and uh, most rewarding. Yeah, that seems really useful. I think the and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. One of the challenges for folks, so in, I'm in California. We've had um, we've had a shelter-in-place quarantine for for two weeks now, and the week before that, we were heavily encouraging everybody to work from home. So we're three weeks into working from home, but all of the schools closed as well. So with uh, many of our employees have have kids and young kids at home, and are now either unable to work or have reduced working hours or shifted working hours or unpredictable hours. And so it's quite hard to, for people to structure their days around that. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge in this, in this shift to, uh, to working from home. I completely agree. And, um, you know, there is no mitigating for how complex that makes everything, right? Like whether you have uh, good productive tips or you use Slack or whatever, if your kids are using up your bandwidth, this is another thing we've got like, people using up their bandwidth for their Zoom sessions and play dates. What can you do? Who's not going to prioritize their kids? Uh, yeah, and that's not just at the uh, at the home level, but um, certainly across the city here, people are having internet issues, and you know, internet providers are having trouble because everybody is at home on Zoom, and the infrastructure just isn't there for that. And when we were doing the research, actually, Rich pointed out that um, actually Slack and Zoom's HQs are in Wuhan. Can you confirm or deny? I can deny that one um, for Slack, anyway. 
It's my, <laughs> yeah. my sloppy research. My sloppy research. Yeah, can, exactly. Yeah. I, like, I like that Cal just threw Zoom's share price under the bus, though. That's fine. But to be honest, to, to, talking about that, I did actually see the uh, the Twitter thread that Stuart put out the other day about, obviously, you guys are a global company. You have offices all around the world. So you, you have seen this impact uh, as a wave almost. So you, you've been able to kind of, uh, I, I think he mentioned like Japan, you know, they were the first ones to close a few weeks ago. I don't know if you can quickly touch on how you've managed that across different regions of your business. Yeah, so our first offices to close were um, South Korea and Japan. And that was um, at least four weeks ago now. So that was, you know, kind of an, an early warning of what was to come, even if we didn't see it that way at the time. But then shortly after that, we realized that it was going to be logistically very challenging to shut down kind of office by office um, and there's different here in california there's different guidance at the country level the state level and the city level as to um you know how how much of a lockdown there should be and so we chose to um once some of the california guidance came into effect to apply that across all of our offices globally so that we just had a clear message which started three weeks ago with a strongly um, suggesting everybody work from home globally and then about a week later um, closing all of the offices globally so none of our offices are open around the world right now even you know in countries that don't have strong advisories yet so our first priority as a company has been to look after our employees to make sure that they're safe and that they're able to look after their families as well so as well as shutting down the offices and enforcing working from home giving people flexible time to either look after their kids or family or anybody who gets sick people have kind of unlimited sick time during this this crisis we gave all of our employees a stipend as well to be able to get a better working from home setup for folks who don't have a monitor or a desk or whatever it is they need to be able to be productive at home so we're thinking about Although we're a company that um, you know makes a product that really enables distributed work, we weren't a distributed company. The vast majority of 2,000 plus Slack employees come into an office every day. We're distributed all around the world in different offices, but but in offices nonetheless. And there's a whole bunch of kind of process that goes with with having physical offices as well that doesn't necessarily very easily translate into into being distributed. For instance. Um, one of those is that when a new employee joins, we give them a laptop that we've set up by it being shipped to our office and, you know, the IT team installing software on it. And we have to figure out what does that process look like in a world where there's no office and, and right now in a world where it's very hard to buy laptops. Um, and so there's been a lot of um, this kind of logistical challenges. Um, we have a lot of kind of hourly employees um, who work in our offices and provide office services. Um, so we're paying those hourly employees, even though they, um, through this period, even though they, they don't have um, any work to do each day. So first and foremost, we're trying to look after our own employees. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I was going to come on to um, really the next question, I guess, before we get really into the crux of it, though, um, taking a step back for a second i just wanted to ask like you as a you as a leader having to adapt to all of this very quickly has it had any sort of impact i mean you mentioned on your daily routine but has it had any notable impact yet on either your physical or mental health i guess in the last two to four weeks i have found myself it's been very easy to start work early in the morning and not leave my chair um for like 12 or 14 hours um and not get any exercise and you know hop from one call to the next with only a few seconds in between and you lose 
not only that kind of boundary, the commute boundary between home and work, but also the kind of like intermeeting and, you know, boundary of you walk around the halls, you have serendipitous conversations, you chat with people who you're not scheduled to chat with, and you kind of get a feel for how the team is doing in a way that you can't anymore, you know. So I think that's that you know, kind of, even though you're talking to people all day, the different kind of feeling of isolation, and also feeling out of touch with what's happening at a time when it's the most important to understand, you know, how your team is doing. So I think that something that I found valuable, and I think we've seen valuable across the company is more frequent check ins with people on your team, you know, more frequent briefer check ins to see how people are doing. And I think, as a leader, I think it's been important to to show kind of empathy and vulnerability that it's we're all going through this together it's like i have kids at home i'm finding it difficult that i'm not getting any exercise or getting outside and seeing people um and i think it's you know we did a internal company all hands maybe a week and a half ago with all the exec team and we're like a lot of the exec team's children ended up being in the all hands as they you know wandered by the call um and i think you're all turning into that guy in the bbc Exactly. You know, like that is now no longer, you know, a point of shame, but a point of pride, I think, of, uh, you know, showing that we're all in this together and we all have kind of different challenges and constraints and that it's uh, we can have a lot of empathy for employees who are in a, in a difficult situation. Yeah, I completely agree. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. 
tell me, uh, really, like, start from the top. How have Slack been reacting to COVID-19? Like, what, like, take us through a bit of a play. Um, Rich and I are both nerds, so we had already read Stuart's uh, Twitter dialogue. Um, amazing that a man can be a CEO and write such a detailed Twitter thread. That would have taken me a whole day to write detail like that on a Twitter thread. But anyway. Well, especially for a public company as well. I think that's quite refreshing to see uh and he, he obviously mentions in that about the earnings call and things like that so if anybody's not seen it have a look i actually forgotten what his handle is but cal probably knows it. it's stuart s-t-e-w-a-r-t yeah it's just that's just too much for rich to understand that you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course he of course he's managed to get the handle with just his first name in yeah i forgot that. you know we've we've been on the internet a while yeah <laughs> Internally within the company, our first priority was, you know, the, the kind of the safety of our employees and their families. And then after that, it's really been how can we help our current and, and you know, and a lot of new customers? Because really, as soon as this started hitting in a, in a big way, we saw a really big surge in companies that just needed help. They don't know how to work distributed. They've never done that before, but they're in an industry where that's possible. So what resources are there? What tools are there? are there and how can they shift to this new mode so we started providing a lot of resources you know one-on-one -on -one consultations with customers or prospective customers so it's like if you want to understand how to use slack and how to work distributed better we'll tell you for free we'll spend you know an hour with you on the phone talking you through how we do it how we've seen other companies do it and what can be successful we um, started doing a, you know kind of outreach to existing customers to um, kind of help them through this we have a lot of a lot of people who are using Slack to respond to the crisis as well. So, providing Slack for free to nonprofits, to um, anybody working to um, either on kind of medical frontline workers or researchers working for on vaccines, allowing them to to use Slack for free for for large communities, especially connecting people working on the crisis in different cities and in different countries, and being able to get them connected. We've done a lot of that. During this period, we've seen an incredible uptick in demand, as you might expect at this point. And it's really been kind of a, an all hands on deck just to be able to help our customers and, our, you know, and especially our new customers who are coming to the platform for the first time, not because they're passionate about enterprise software in the workplace, but because they are worried and they need to be able to you know, get connected and get some work done and they're in a, in a terrible situation. So I think we're, we're really just there to try and provide resources and help. Take us through that. Give us a bit of an idea of the scale of numbers. So since since we last met um, and the week before you were going public, I mean, if you can remember this stuff, what was your user growth like back then? I guess we've got great milestones, right? As in, do you remember the numbers you went public with? Yes, probably. And then the numbers a month ago and the numbers today, just to give us a, a sense of it. There's a lot of you know different metrics we use in terms of uh, connected simultaneous users of the service. It's um, got to be up more than 50% since we went public, and that was just last summer. Before this crisis started, we were adding about 5,000 um, new paid customers each quarter. We've added 9,000 in the first half of this quarter, so we're well above kind of our baseline rate. But also our average use of Slack by all of our customers, so that's existing and new, is is up about 20%. So we're seeing everybody, if they're even if they're already using Slack, they're now using Slack a lot more. 
that is especially true in countries that have been hardest hit or first hit. So new teams up more than 120% in Italy, 33, you know, kind of like 33, 34% in Japan and Korea. So it's really the countries which first had to have a forced kind of work from home are hugely up. So we can definitely see see kind of the virus rolling around the world and impacting through through our customer countries. And have you got um, Jeff Bezos on speed dial asking him to give you some AWS credits to handle all of it? <laughs> um, I hate to say this um, because it's really tempting fate, but throughout all of this, you know, our service has been, been very stable and we've been able to scale up to that demand. And that's luckily kind of years of investment of into the technology side um, so that we're just able to continue to scale everything up, even as we've seen kind of an unprecedented growth in traffic over the last few weeks. Apart from events like this, would, where would you see the this kind of um, traffic or this kind of volume of, of new accounts being signed up? Is there a kind of time of year that that particularly happens? or There's definitely kind of seasonal growth in when people adopt new tools in the workplace. You know, we've been We've had a you know product in market for about six years now, so we've definitely seen that seasonality. But this kind of growth, this kind of rate of growth, we've just never seen. Even when we were you know a start, tiny startup with our first few customers, this kind of percentage growth week on week, we've never seen before. So it's kind of it's been really incredible. I can't think of any other kind of world event that would cause this kind of demand, you know, in such a short space of time. You know, anything else that would, it really takes forcing millions of people to suddenly work from home with no notice to spike demand like this. What long-term impact do you see then, like with COVID-19 having on, I guess we'll start with just like the perspective of remote working in the future. Do you think, even even from your own perspective, like let's say it's over in a month, uh, fingers crossed, What what is Slack going to do? I think a lot of what will happen in the post COVID is going to depend on on how long it lasts for. Because I think the if it's suddenly over, I don't think there's any chance of this. But if it's suddenly over next week, then it's much more of like a several week blip, and everything goes back to how it was. I think the longer it remains like this, the more it becomes the new normal. And I think either way, at this point, it's going to have pretty profound effects on the way people work when we do return to work, and. On the one hand, I think it's going to show a lot of organizations that it's possible to work in a distributed manner. So I think the number of companies that are distributed is going to increase. On the other hand, this isn't really a good demonstration or simulation of what it's like to have a distributed company, because usually when you do, people aren't in a childcare situation where they can't work or aren't looking after sick family. And so it's... um, you don't really get the sense of what it would be like to be distributed in a controlled manner where you planned for it. So I think that will that will limit to the, the extent to which uh, a lot of companies after this pivot hard into being fully remote. I think the, you know, the thing that it really shows up is the, you can, you can replace a lot of um, process with, um, with good tools. Like I can't imagine what this would have been like if it was a decade ago. When there weren't tools like Slack, there wasn't great video conferencing like Zoom, people didn't necessarily have great internet at home, it would have been such an incredible challenge to to go through this when there was really no great set of tools to be able to support a company going distributed. But I think you still feel you feel the gaps and what's missing when you when you go from being co-located to being distributed. And it is that kind of serendipitous conversation it's all getting in a room around a whiteboard and debating something which is possible over zoom but just not the same so i think it'll be interesting to see 
what kind of companies appear to fill those gaps or to try and fill those gaps um, as we come out of this um, to kind of round out the suite of, of tools to be able to, to work distributed. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because uh, I was going to actually ask, I'm going to move this question earlier as we're debating it. So in a world of no Slack, and it's an uncomfortable thing for you to say, but assuming that you have uh, some prior uh, passion for software, in a world of no Slack, what other products do you think do collaboration really well? If you weren't the CTO and co-founder of Slack, what might you be recommending, suggesting because uh, I know there's new ones coming out, but there's also a load of existing ones, and they all have their own angle, right? Yeah. We were heavily inspired uh, by IRC, which we used in the kind of early 90s and, and through the early 2000s. However, that's not a good tool for most companies. That's great for, like, 90s nerds, you know, on the on the internet at university or whatever, um, and isn't good for organizations of real people. It's tough. I mean, I think the, you know, if this was either a decade ago or if Slack didn't exist, the default tool set would be email and it's not a great way to connect people. And, you know, and the default video would be uh, would be some other, you know, kind of legacy set of, um, of video conferencing. What we do have today is really good consumer tools. So I think it would be a lot of like iMessage and WhatsApp and FaceTime. And I think that's, you know, when you go go beyond like slack it's probably those consumer tools which people would would use um and figure out some you know some way to to struggle through and i think that's that's fine for small companies that's a really big challenge for large companies who have kind of um security compliance requirements i think that's you know one of the big gaps or one of the major gaps in the same way that you've got, um, yeah, it's really interesting to me because I know that you've got the video and, uh, and and call functionality in Slack, but you know you yourself keep mentioning Zoom. So do you have? Is it a bit like uh, Apple, where um, or Apple and Microsoft, where it's like, well, you can use whatever you want because you're an adult. Uh, you don't have to use our products, but it would be nice. How does how does that comms work? And then the second part of the question really is, if Slack's primary function is what it is, which is comms over, you know, really texting and team messaging, but you have those extra features. Do you think that there's a chance of Zoom impeding on um, Slack's functionality by adding your core functionalities as the secondary part of theirs and uh, the crossover there? You know, I think that we see that in similar ways, which is for a large company, they're not going to deploy Slack calls as their sole calling product because it's not integrated into um, meeting rooms and, you know, like uh, the kind of meeting room TV and tablet setup. We just do, you can do calls from from your Slack client. And, um, you know, we don't do 10,000 person webinars. You know, it's not a product that's focused around that, but it's great for ad hoc calls. And it's great if you're a small company and we provide something that you can just use out of the box. And I think the the messaging features in Zoom is similar. It's like if you're a if you're a Zoom customer, you can use the the messaging that's that's bolted onto it, but it's not their core product. So, you know, while we have a lot of our customers at large companies do use Slack calls, that's certainly not their main core provider. You know, they have a Zoom or a Blue Jeans or a, you know, Skype for business or a, or Cisco. But it's important that we provide that for our smaller customers, and it's great for you know just ad hoc, ad hoc calls. So I think it's a different use case, and we we see it the same that we provide that and we provide a base level of functionality, but we don't expect that to be the solution for our larger customers. There are documents in Slack called posts, which let you have you know like a richly marked up document, but 
we expect any of our large customers using Office 365 or G Suite or Quip or Dropbox Paper or whatever tool they choose, or often all four, you know, we offer our basic version alongside that. Got it. Okay, so you guys are having to um, adapt really quickly. I know you brought out a new uh, feature set or basically a redesign uh, about a week ago or a couple of weeks ago. The question is, was that planned? Absolutely. We've been working on that for um, more than six months. But well, I mean, I would assume, but I mean, uh, but at the same time, so this is where this, I know it sounds like a stupid question, but I'm like, hey, of course it was. Don't be ridiculous. But I'm like, what time to choose to release it if that's the case? So what we actually did was um, really accelerate the timeline on which we rolled it out to new customers. So we had a we had a you know release plan and we we decided we had enough signal that it was much better for new people coming to Slack. So we just turned it on for all new people coming to Slack. And we wouldn't have done that otherwise. It would have been slowly rolling out to some existing customers. And we saw that the biggest thing that we could do was new people looking for some way to communicate, helping them get set up quicker. And that was the most important thing that we could do for them. So rolled that out as quickly as we could. And the timing, we had already had our launch plan for a particular day and, you know, had done press briefings under embargo and it was all timed and we we're like oh can, should we go forward with this how much should we you know what percentage of our customers should we roll out to because we also don't want to make it more confusing for our existing customers at a time when they're already in a super difficult state so we've been very very careful about that you know and the the fact that our service has continued to be stable and scale through this time as well is not because we did a heroic amount of work in the last two weeks not that the engineering organization isn't heroic and hasn't been no great work but it's like several years of investment that is coming to fruition and allowing us to be in that position we were planning for the next few years and instead it happened in a few weeks glad we did that planning nonetheless what are, you, what are your predictions then for how your team's going to operate in the in the coming months? Like, are you doing like to talk to us about internal comms? How are you handling that at the moment? Because this is one of the things really that uh, in this series we're particularly interested in focusing on in our world of large companies and small companies leaders having to go through all sorts of changes. You guys are very, very, very uniquely poised in a very positive way i'm sure you have loads of friends that are suffering the exact opposite scenario and crisis plans and crisis comms and motivation and everything is incredibly uh, complicated and hugely in demand from people that have some clue and can share some insights about how they're handling it so if you've got some examples of how you and Stuart are handling it in a fast growth opportunity right now that would just be helpful yeah, and I, and I think that you know there are companies that fall into a few different buckets. You know, luckily uh, for us, we're in a in a category where this isn't terrible for our business. You know, so we have a lot of kind of customers and partners where the impact has already been huge. To their industry, whether that's kind of like airlines or travel, uh, you know, or offices or you know all of the kind of restaurants, uh, all of those kind of industries where they're hard hit and the the comms have to be in a different direction for us you know during this the last few weeks we've really stepped up the pace of internal communication because people are feel much more isolated so making sure that we have a kind of steady drumbeat drumbeat of announcements that they feel human and empathetic as well that they reflect the kind of reality that everybody's in and also that they're they're consistent because getting an announcement every day in a different direction is not actually helpful or uh, you know reassuring in any way we've stepped up the cadence of our internal um, all hands we're doing 
an all hands or and or town hall every week with folks and so there's just much more shorter but more consistent touch points so that people see here kind of every every few days what's going on and in general encourage all of our managers to to check in with their team much more often um, especially as you know folks start to get sick as well Do you have some tips on things you're doing culturally to bring people together? Like We've wanted to make sure that kind of the social aspects of work have continued. And so we've seen lots of teams like doing a virtual happy hour at the end of the day and um, where people just get together on Zoom uh, and chat, but also some of the like kind of more hobbies um, go online as well. So like the knitting group is doing like co-knitting over Zoom, you know, <laughs> or the board game players. I've heard of uh, within Slack of people doing virtual dinner party over Zoom as well. I'm doing one tonight, actually. Uh, yeah. So like cooking together and things like that. And I think that figuring out what are the activities that can be continued, even in a slightly different format, I think has been pretty healthy. A lot of employees like live alone and now will not see really anybody. And so other, outside of, uh, you know, their work calls. So to what extent can we make sure that we continue everybody's interactions and, and give people, you know, those kind of non-work outlets as well? And I think that's important. Yeah. On the on the technical side, so speaking with your, I mean, it's not technical, but on the product side, I should say, I know that, um, you know, there's a, a big bot infrastructure for Slack apps to help teams as well. So like lots of different ways that you can get integrations and fun things. And I think as I was mentioning to you the other day, like even at Heights, we've created a, a wellness spot essentially to try and nudge positive behaviors. But I guess my question to you is how do people generally discover them? Like what is the sort of infrastructure for finding um, ways to integrate stuff into Slack that can help positive behaviors in Teams? For us as a company, it's been a lot of um, kind of internal sharing. Like we have uh, many channels around like uh, living through COVID and what people are, you know, whether it's the parent-oriented channels or the non-parent-oriented channels around things that, uh, you know, sharing things that people are finding useful. You know, on the customer outside of our internal company kind of side, it's through the the Slack app store and finding uh, finding things on there. As we've done consultations with customers and talked to them about their transition to working from home, that includes things like tips on how to, you know, how to healthily work distributed as well, including things like that of what are the little things that you can do to help that routine as well and to make it a kind of healthy working life. And this is the ironic bit where we pretend that, you know, you haven't you haven't also sat at your desk for 12 hours a day. Because it's so annoying, right? As in you can know all the things, but doing them is just a whole different ballpark. You know, it, it's tough when, when all your kind of, uh, when you're used to one particular way of working and you don't necessarily realize that, you know, you have that time between, between meetings where you get up and walk from one place to another. It's just like you have a bit of exercise every hour or every half hour and you lose a lot of that working from home. And I think, especially for us as an organization who've just been so busy over the last three weeks that that tends to come far down on your list of things you're worrying about. And I think as this situation continues, people will get more, get adjusted to the new normal and understand uh, how it is they're going to work and how it is they're going to operate. But that's going to take some time. Right. We're coming to the tail end. So I've got a question for you, which is what book or podcast do you recommend people listen to or read um, uh, around around work, remote working? A good one is probably um, Team of Teams 
by uh, Stanley McChrystal. He was he led the Joint Operations Task Force in Iraq in 2003, and it's a it is a book about. It's not really a book about that, but it's a book about kind of distributing responsibility in large organizations. So, like, how can you how can you manage a large, complex organization in a changing environment and push decision making down to the edges for very large, for large organizations? And I think that's good for building kind of organizational flexibility in a time where it's hard to coordinate a large amount of people. So, and it's a short read as well. So team of teams. That's what we were really waiting for you to say. <laughs> okay. So we, we also went out um, earlier this week and uh, obviously mentioned that we were interviewing later this week and asked people if they had some questions for you. Um, I've just collated three because uh, we got a lot of responses and um, I can't, uh, we, this isn't for you to do a Q&A of the Slack product. Um, so uh, a fun one is what are the best unknown features within Slack? Uh, sorry, that's from Ross Nichols, who's the co-founder of Just Move In. It's not unknown by everybody, but I think my favorite Slack feature that not many people know about is the quick switcher. So it's a command K or control K and allows you to change to any channel or DM uh, just by typing. So you don't have to use a mouse anymore. So it's like if I want to switch to to my conversation with Sam, I just do command K, SAM, enter, and I'm in the conversation with Sam. And it's saves. It's very simple, but it will save you, you know, hours um, over the course of a year. Everyone loves a keyboard feature. That's amazing. I didn't know that one. Actually, I like that one. My favorite hidden feature is uh, slash shrug. It's good because before that, I had to like open Google, type shrug emoji, and then copy and paste it. And now just slash shrug. It saves That saves a lot of time. Yeah. It gets used multiple times a day on our Slack. So yeah. Sla- slash remind is another good one. You can just set a reminder. Yeah. Um, or remind you about a message or anything in a certain amount of time. So, But yeah, command K, control K. That's probably the like the biggest quality of life difference for for people who are in slack a lot <laughs> that's literally the, the best the best nerdy comment um ever yeah real quality of life issue there right we've got uh will mclaughlin who is the platforms lead at ogilvy um who says i seem to remember a podcast slash article that said that slack hq turns off messaging for their own staff after 8 p.m i.e using the slack platform less makes it more effective or using the platform wisely, you could say. In these times of us working an extra few hours a day due to remote working, it'd be good to get Slack's company view on switching off. We don't disable the whole of the Slack platform, but we have the do not disturb mode um, on by default, which means that people don't get notifications um, if you message them unless you like say it's an emergency and choose to override that. Now, as an organization, we're distributed around the world as well. So there is no, there's no time at which Slack people aren't working. But uh, I think we have historically found that useful for making sure that people are able to disconnect from work. That's obviously a little bit different right now because people are working different hours and unpredictable hours. But our view is still that, you know, you shouldn't, uh, you need to be taking care of yourself first and foremost. So whatever hours you you work, that needs to be done in a sustainable way. So encouraging people to to step away. And it's like, if you can only work for four hours today, then that's absolutely fine. And if you can't work at all today because of your, your current home situation, then that's also fine. And that's more important than, you know, than making sure you're at work for exactly eight hours or whatever it is. Got it. Okay, this next one is too easy for you to answer, so I might make a little twist on it. But it's um, 
uh, from Michael Languth, who is the co-founder of POC, which is a SaaS platform for retail. Uh, I always wondered how the plethora of private and random channels affects overall productivity. Can you share your info here? Now, I'm going to add a caveat of can you also add a potential downside to your highly polished public company founder answer? You know, one of the biggest shifts when an organization moves from like email to Slack is that because of the orientation around around channels and and more information being public within an organization, you have to shift mentally from the I am going to read everything that comes into my inbox to there's no way that I could read everything that's available to me in Slack. And so understanding and prioritizing what the channels you want to read. So using the kind of notification preferences to mute channels that you just want to dip into and aren't important or star the most important channels so that you know you're going to read those. I think that's really important. So it's it's a different, it's a, you know, mindset shift from email to I will try and read everything. You know, there are plenty of inbox zero type folks or inbox close enough to zero each day to there's no way that I'll read everything. So I'm going to prioritize what's important. That said, I think the, you know, the kind of non-work social channels, um, the way we use Slack at Slack is we have those set up into a separate workspace. We use the grid product that has kind of different organizations of channels. And we put all of the social channels off into one place. And there are hundreds of them or maybe thousands. And I think that it's important that we have those, especially at a time like this, where we want people to be a bit more connected and feel more like they're, you know, they're part of an organization. But we, you know, kind of put them off into a specific place so that you can go look for them if you want to, you know, if you want to be part of those social channels. So I'm a, you know, member of the Animal Crossing channel. It's a new game that came out like uh whatever that was, five, six days ago. This is an excellent game on the Nintendo Switch. And so I can go choose to be over in that channel and talk about the uh, reading rare colors of flowers, or I can be over in the work channels. Um, but I think it's the, one of the, you know, aspects of Slack as a product is that it is, it is both where the kind of the serious work happens and also where some of the social aspect of work happens. And I think the, that idea that, you know, kind of, fun isn't antithetical to work that the two have to kind of coexist because that's you know that's how you bring yourself to work anyway it's not all serious all the time um for most roles and that the usage of slack reflects that and i think that's a kind of important aspect of the product and you could think of it as um well that's not being fully productive because if you're fully productive you would only be serious all the time but i think it's um it's part of a, a healthy working relationship especially right now yeah, it's funny about the professional and personal, because, you know, often as an entrepreneur, people say to me, like, what about work-life balance? And I'm like, well, there's just life. There's no such thing. And now we have this world where you've got professional, personal work and life all merged into the same thing. So uh, I think people are just uh, having to turn up and be more authentic one way or another, because there's just no separation, right? Not stepping into a different space right now. Hopefully a good thing. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's still very early days, you know, we're only a few weeks into this, and it's going to take some time for us to figure out how this, how it shakes out for folks, you know, both in terms of even if people's situations don't change, it's going to take some working out and for people to kind of get their new groove. And for people whose situations do change, if people get sick or family get sick, then it's going to be kind of an evolving situation. So, you know, while we're, we have a long history of enabling distributed work, I think the, this forced global kind of work from home is such a big shift that it's just going to take us a long time, kind of at a society level to understand how, how we're going to react to it and what the new normal is going to be. 
And what, like, go on, just give us uh, your parting words, I guess. What, are, what is your instinctive idea of what you think uh, might be the impact of, like, what new normal looks like? So putting aside all of the kind of industries that will be incredibly heavily impacted by this, and, you know, who knows what the future of kind of air travel is going to be, you know, hugely dependent on how long this lasts. But I think that for, you know, for organizations which continue to exist and thrive through this time, I think people at every level of a business are going to end up being a lot more empathetic, I think, as we've, you know, been been a lot closer to each other in terms of uh, kind of individual situations and the sense that we're all in this together uh, in this challenging situation even though everybody's on you know in different circumstances i think is is going to be really heightened especially uh, you know seeing seeing parents and and childcare situations and and folks getting sick as well so i think there's going to be a lot more you know hopefully a lot more empathy um between between coworkers i think the other thing coming out of this is we'll see what the shift to to more distributed companies looks like. It's unclear exactly what that's going to be, but I think we're not, it's never going to go back to normal. We're never going to reset back to the point where so many organizations see distributed work as not possible because they will have had to have make it work. So I think we'll start to see a lot more distributed work. Final words from you. What wisdom or positivity for, oh yeah, I know you don't want to hear what wisdom, Jesus, but I know that you're brimming with it, so don't worry. What words of wisdom do you have and positivity for our listeners to just leave us on a high in these challenging times? Keep calm and carry on? No, you know, it's it's a situation um, and, you know, that's been been forced uh, upon everybody, but these kind of situations also present opportunities for uh, for change in a good way whether that's uh you know kind of rethinking some of the things the the things that you've been doing as an organization that were inefficient it's like we had this particular kind of meeting culture and now that it's you know we're more concentrated on how we're spending our time these meetings weren't useful it's possible to do this kind of thing in slack instead of waste an hour of 50 people's time in person or we weren't spending enough time talking about certain kinds of topics that were just forced to the forefront during this time so i think it's a it's an opportunity for organizations to rethink how they work together. And that's certainly an opportunity we've taken, you know. And I think the the changes to remote work and enabling distributed work are just going to change how organizations work, um, you know, going forward. And that will present new opportunity as well. It's going to be a very interesting year. It is. And uh, we hope you guys continue to help facilitate, uh, connect and enable people together. So thank you so much for your time, dude. Yeah, you're welcome. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Next week on Secret Leaders. This is going to be a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is not about, oh, April was a great month. This is a 18 to 24 month to 36 month crisis. And you have to sustain through the crisis. So wait for data. You know, I don't think there's any particular benefit to sprinting super hard on the back of growth versus a very, quite a measured, cautious approach for making sure your signals are correct. That was Fred Destan, the co-founder of Stride VC, who's joined us for a funding Q&A that we hosted on Twitter with a bunch of questions by some of Europe's top founders, aka you, our listeners, who want to know what a VC with about $10 billion worth of successful investments under his belt, so he knows a thing or two, thinks about these times. So if funding in a pandemic is of interest to you, then tune in or you'll miss out. 
Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mags Creative and stunning visual design by our talented designer, Christina Naru of SmartUpVisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, SecretLeaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at Secret Leaders or at Dan Murray Serta, and we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. Rich and I put together Secret Leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs, but every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.